Hey everyone, I'm Trace. Thank you for listening to Seeker Plus. Noise is a big deal. It's everywhere. It's pervasive. It is the worst. But without it, you couldn't hear this episode. Without noise, you'd never know if a car was going to hit you or if a predator was stalking you. You'd never even hear the beat of a heart or the clang of a cymbal. Noise and sound are inexorably linked. So let's dive into the differences, the noisiest places we know of, and how exactly noise shaped our evolution. For the next 40 minutes or so, we're going to dig deep into the biology, evolution, astronomy, and sociology of noise. We even have a special guest coming in a bit later. I won't spoil it yet, but stick around to find out who it is. This episode is part of Noise Week, a special that we're running all across Seeker. So if you haven't checked it out, go to YouTube or Facebook, look for Seeker, and do so. But for now, let's kick into it. Noise is a big deal. It can be damaging. It can be drowning. It can be distracting. Noise can be visual, auditory, electronic. It can be signal scrambling. You can have musical noise. You can just use the word noise to describe something you don't like. It's just noise. But what is noise? Like, what's the difference between noise and, well, not noise? So first, where did this idea of noise come from? Should we maybe look at the word noise? You know, etymology time, baby. Noise comes from the Latin nausea, actually means sickness, but it comes from the root word meaning ship, which is really cool uh, because, you know, people get seasick, which is really interesting. It also could come from the Old French meaning a quarrel, which is interesting, funnily like a noisome noi or annoy. Interesting, also relates back to sound, although it's mostly used for smells, really. So like a noisome beast, which is a great word, by the way. You should take that one with you. You're welcome. Then let's look up sound, though, in etymology. Sound actually means noise, which is wrong, right? It seems messed up. You can't just say, like, what's noise? Well, noise is this. Well, what's sound? Sound is noise. It's from Middle English. Anglo-French comes from the Latin of sonus which means it's literally sound, and that's messed up. Etymology has definitely failed us this time, lasses and lads. So let's go instead to the dictionary. Noise is, quote, a sound, especially one that is loud or unpleasant that causes disturbance. Of course, right off the bat, there's a problem with that because who decides what is loud or unpleasant? Who decides what's disturbing? That's a lot of judging from Mr. Shinary. Dictionary. That was bad. Anyway, let's work backwards. We've got sound. A sound is a vibration, a pressure wave that travels through the air or another medium, and it can be heard by a person or an animal's ear. Boom. No judging. Mr. Dictionary, step back. This is something that I can work with, right? It's a pressure wave. So what is human noise then? And that's a simple answer. It's a sound that we don't like. And you might think, music. I don't like that kind of music, so that's noise. Jackhammers, I think we can all agree, probably noise. Screaming children, some people might like it, but to a lot of people, it's noise. And all of those things are correctly assuming noise. But noise is also, for some people, wind in the trees, or rainfall, or birds and bees. If your goal is to listen for a predator, those things could be considered noise, right? You can't listen for the predator because the damn rainforest is too loud. Noise could be a very pleasant violin playing softly at 2 a.m. when you're trying to sleep, neighbor. The most soothing voice in the world trying to talk to you in the middle of a metal concert. That would be noise. This is all subjective, and I kind of love that because, you know, we do science podcasts. We don't really get to do a lot of subjective stuff. But in this case, 
This is all subjective, but we're gonna table it for the rest of the episode. Instead, we're gonna talk about concrete, objective stuff. Sound is, again, pressure waves traveling through a medium. So let's unpack that a bit. Think of yourself as a tiny molecule in a line, right? There's a molecule over here, there's a molecule over there. You're just hanging out. And then all of a sudden, the guy next to you bumps into you, and you're like, what? And then you accidentally bump into the person on your left, right? And then, oh, gosh, again, you get hit from the right, and you go back to the left. And again, faster this time, and then lightly at first, but then in increasing intensity. And then you're just vibrating back and forth, and you're all just bumping into everybody. And then all of a sudden, it subsides, and then it comes back, and then you're bumping, and then it subsides again. And then, oh, that's sound. It's molecules hitting each other and passing the energy from one little bit to the next little bit in that medium. Uh, like the molecular version of the wave in a baseball stadium, but instead of the wave going around every couple of minutes, it's multiple waves per second. It's a lot. Pressure waves. It's up. Sound needs a medium to travel. Air molecules are a good medium. Water is a great medium. Robert Boyle in the 1600s discovered this by putting a bell under glass. He rang the bell and then he used a pump to vacuum the air out from the inside under the glass. And the ringing stopped. The bell was still vibrating, but the vibration couldn't pass the energy into the air to get it to the glass to get it outside of the glass. There was no medium for the sound to move through. Sidebar for nerds, when I was reading about this, I was all like, wait, but where does the energy go? Because it's still energy, right? And it's just contained inside of the bell and it causes just a little bit of heat. There's a little bit of heat and then it dissipates. Isn't that cool? Man, and sidebar for nerds. So what exactly is noise? In engineering, it can mean a lot of different things. If you're talking about sound, of course, we've sort of kicked that horse to death, but it can also be data or static mixed in with a signal that contains your data. Think of like static on the radio when you're driving, or if you remember the old rabbit ears on the TV, all of the little snow that you would get when you would try and adjust the antenna on your television. Um, I mean, over-the-air television still exists, so I guess you could also think of that with those new HD antennas that are more solid plastic. Uh, any of that digital static, it's similar, but it's noise in the signal. Okay, there's another bit of noise that you might experience often. So think about the headphones that you might be wearing while you listen to this episode. If you're not, you know, just sit around for a second, we'll come back to you. But for those wearing headphones, I promise I am not going to talk. Turn the volume all the way up just for a second and then turn it back down. You have five seconds. Go. Did you turn it back down? Okay, turn it back down. Right. Did you hear a hissing sound? That was noise in the line, noise in the system between whatever you're listening on and your headphones. It's annoying for some people if you really hear it all the time. The hissing sound is always there in speakers and in headphones. The wires in your electronics and devices, the power going into your house, even Wi-Fi signals all have this noise, and you just heard a representation of it. What it really is is the electrons moving through the wires, but we'll come back to that. This noise stuff really becomes important in radio telescopes and in cameras, in scientific sensing equipment. So it's important for a lot of people to understand the difference between noise and signal. Even though we interpret it as 
sound and noise. Engineers call it signal and noise. So they use something called the signal-to-noise ratio, which is the quality of a stream of data. And it's measured in decibels. So if you have a zero decibel signal-to-noise ratio, then it's equal amounts noise and data. Not the best. If you have 100 decibel signal-to-noise ratio, that is way more noise. You probably can't hear anything. And if you have negative 100 decibels, that's way more signal, which is really great. The hiss in your headphone, again, electron movement, not a big deal. You probably don't hear it most of the time. Um, it, it is kind of awesome that you're hearing electrons move, I have to say, just another little nerd sidebar there. But it happens because those electrons create chaos in the system, and that chaos has to have somewhere to go, and so it ends up as noise. It also exists in many other mediums. For example, if you think of uh, vinyl records, the popping and hissing, that could be considered the noise, even though it's caused by more dust and physical things usually. But long HDMI cables from a component to your TV, those have noise in the wires because of the electrons moving through them. The electrons are moving through metal. That's a medium. It's very similar to waves moving through the atmosphere with sound. So that's why we use the same terminology. When it comes to noise for science, in a concrete example, radio telescopes are a great way to think about it. When you think of a radio telescope, picture not the one that you look through, but a giant dish, probably out in a desert somewhere or something, out on top of a mountain, and it's pointed up at the sky, and it sucks in all sorts of waves from all across the spectrum. And many of these waves are just a big mess, just this big, noisy mess. They're like, <sighs> kind of thing, right? The signal, that isn't. We need the little signal that's coming in, that electron that's excited by the solar radiation and creating the aurora that we're trying to measure, right? We just need that. But all of this other stuff is happening that we have to filter out. And this is important because radio telescopes, they need a relatively quiet patch of sky. But even then, the noise is still there. So we have to be able to filter it out. There's all sorts of different things in the universe that are sending out frequencies all the time. And remember, radio telescopes are picking up a huge just swath of those frequencies. We've got black holes sending stuff out, pulsars, nebulas, quasars, radio galaxies. And if I just want to listen to, say, one specific star, I have to filter out all that other stuff. It's like I'm standing in a room filled with billions of people and they're all shouting at the same time, but I just want to hear one of them. So to filter out the others, I have to measure all the different noise that's out there in the universe and know what to filter out. And this is what astronomers have to do all the time, and I am way oversimplifying it. I know it's really, really hard and really, really incredible. But it sounds a lot like what we were talking about at the top, when you're standing in a crowded room and you're listening to the person next to you, doesn't it? I need to filter out all these other people. I can't listen to them. I just want to focus on this one person that I came here to talk to. Which brings us back to subjective noise, right? All those quasars might be important, but not to that radio astronomer at that moment. Because even though it's measurable and we can tell that that quasar is important and that quasar is important, at that moment for that radio astronomer, quasar number two is noise. Somehow, even though we've stated it this way, it is different, isn't it? It feels different. There is this quote, uh, the state of being dirty has been called just matter out of place, right? Dirt is just matter out of place. So what if noise 
is just sonic phenomena out of place. Maybe noise is just something that we decide. Natural noise is somehow different from anthropogenic noise or noise that we create. Is it because animals evolved and machines were built? And there's these different things that we want to dig into. So let's move into that. In different environments, wind and rain might be considered noise, whereas in others, music might be considered noise, right? So let's unpack that a bit. So, Mike, real quick, before we get into everything, why yeah. are you here? Uh, uh, because we're friends? Yeah, well, yeah. that that one. Uh, I'm the creator and host of a podcast called Reasonably Sound, uh, which is about the science, culture, and theory behind all things audio. So it's like looking at not just interesting sounds and where they come from, but also looking at how people experience them and what they tell us about the world uh, and how we can sort of understand culture and people and technology through listening. Cool. So that's, again, since it's Noise Week, I figured, hey, Mike, what's up? I know some things about those things. Yeah. The state of being dirty is called matter out of place, right? This yeah. is something we were talking about the other day. Yeah, so uh, Mary Douglas, was a uh, she's a sociologist. She wrote this really famous book in, I think it was like the mid-60s, um, called Purity and Danger. Mm. She established this idea that um, dirt is uh, what, she de- what she described as matter out of place. And then it's like, you know, your shoes are more dirty when they're on the coffee table than when they're off your feet and on the doormat. Interesting. Uh, even though they are, they might have the same amount of dirt on them in both of those situations, you would consider one of them more dirty than the other. Because it's kind of the wrong spot for shoes. Yeah, so it's so it's matter out of place. I'm hearing my mom, like, in my brain right now. Like, <laughs> Get your shoes off the couch. Yeah. Yeah. And so that like sort of establishes this idea that there's a, there's a sort of cultural aspect to it that mm-hmm. like there's there's the idea that your shoes on the coffee table are wrong for a whole host of often social reasons that it's a right. a sign of something being out of place. Yeah. Uh, and in Noise Week in talking about noise this makes sense as well. Like you can kind of extend that that idea to sonic phenomena. And there was actually there was a guy who 30 years before her book uh, so he sort of presaged this a little bit. In like 1930, uh, a physicist, I think his name was Kay, describes noise as sound out of place. Hmm. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. I got a full quote from him. Oh, sure. So this guy, George William Clarkson Kay, uh, 1931, British physicist, he said excessive loudness, its composition, its persistency or frequency of occurrence, or alternatively, its intermittency, its unexpectedness, untimeliness or unfamiliarity, its redundancy, inappropriateness, its unreasonableness, its suggestion of intimidation, arrogance, malice, or thoughtlessness is what makes something noisy or sound out of place. Man, that guy was very specific. He had a lot of thesauri. Yeah. Thesauruses. But I think it's, right, like it's complicated. It's hard to say what noise is without bringing in all of these. Yeah. 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 Something we talked about a little earlier in the series is that noise is very much about perception. It's not so much like, this is noise, this is not noise. Um, The example that we used earlier was astronomers might be looking at the whole universe, but they really just want the noise from that quasar. Mm. So they have to filter out all that other stuff. It's not that the other stuff isn't important or won't be valuable later or to a different astronomer. But to that astronomer at that moment, everything else is noise and they just want one quasar. And that's sort of applies more broadly as well because these kind of inappropriate and unreasonable yeah. those are value Unti- untimeliness yeah it's like that that's like your opinion man yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whatever k 
Um, and then with, there's also this problem, I think, that natural noise is different from anthropogenic noise. It like feels different. A, a bird making noise feels different somehow than a human making noise. Yeah, like there's a, uh, or like, uh, like a rainstorm yeah. or uh, like whale song or mm -hmm. whatever. Like When in reality it's very noisy, it's not necessarily considered noise. Yeah, I think there's like a, there's a naturalism bias or something. Ooh, yeah, that sounds, that's, that sounds bad. <laughs> like, like we have a bias toward this not being noise, but in reality, the sound pressure is the same. Yeah. And I think a lot of times the, like the frequency content is the same too. I think that there's, it, it sort of lines up with the sound out of place idea because I think we have a, a, this sort of, I don't know, impulse to think of things that we associate with coming from nature as thinking, them at, thinking of them as just better. It's hard for them to be out of place mm -hmm. because they are natural. They can never be right. where, sh where they shouldn't be yeah. because they are part of the natural world. And so... Right. So somehow we stand apart from that. Yeah. It's like stuff we build is not natural, but stuff that birds build, like a bower bird builds a little thing, that's natural, even yeah. though it's a construction. It's funny. It makes me think of like well, like a woodpecker sound. Like woodpecker actually is kind of irritating, but it's like that's almost construction noise. Yeah. Yeah, almost. Yeah. That's weird. So wherever you are right now, just kind of pop out your headphone and just listen just for just for a few seconds. Do you hear all that? The drone of a fan or rumble of a highway, the wind in the trees. I don't know where you're sitting at the moment. Maybe even just like people talking at your office or typing or, you know, all of those sounds. The, the hum of like electrical machinery is a pretty common one that you would probably hear in air, HVAC systems. Yeah. That's all noise pollution. It's all noise. Even if it's natural, even if it's not natural, it's just kind of extraneous energy being thrown out into the world. And it's incredible because you didn't probably notice that it was there before you popped out your headphone and listened to it. Yeah, you habituate to those things pretty quickly. Right. You just ignore it, which is pretty incredible because your brain has to filter all that crap out all the time. I mean, the rainforest is noisy, as we sort of touched on, and noise just kind of happens. I found this research guide from Harvard where lungfish they actually lack a middle ear to sense pressure changes, okay. but they're able to detect sound through air vibrations, Yeah, which I also think is fascinating because it's a fish. Air vibrations. Air vibrations. Which is funny. Um, but hearing is just that. It's just being able to detect the movement of air, right? It's just air is moving around and we can sense it. It's like a lot of insects, uh, like caterpillars hear through the hairs on their body. Mm. Um, I think some... Some crickets or all crickets, I'd have to check. Mm -hmm. But I can actually, they hear through their legs. Oh. Like, or, you know. Maybe they, the hair is on their They legs? pick up vibratory information through, you know, yeah. their outside bits and can, in a sense, hear. Though I don't think, we, like, humans would not understand it as Right, we wouldn't have this. hearing, yeah. per se. That's fascinating. So, hearing actually dates back millions of years for us. At some point, amphibians moved out of the water and they needed a sense similar to the lungfish where they could sense the vibration of the air around them. Mm -hmm. And it was evolutionarily advantageous in some way. This happened about 350 million years ago, depending on the source. So eventually these uh, amphibians evolved to get tympanic membranes that could actually make noise Eardrum. on top of, yeah, picking yeah. it up. So like those frogs that go like, 
boom, oh, and yeah. sound like rubber bands and things. You know, that's a way to communicate. It's good for mating. And it evolved from a similar area of the body, a similar structure, to get this like noise making from noise picking up. It's kind of the same idea. And so this is when nature started to actively make noise, right? And now animals and non-animals make noise all across the spectrum, which is pretty incredible because we had to evolve a way then to avoid all of that. It's like other frogs likely had to evolve to avoid the first frogs, yeah. right? Like, oh, that noise is annoying, <laughs> right? You don't have, you know, they didn't evolve uh, ear lids. Oh, yeah. That would be helpful. Can we evolve those? Some ear lids? Yeah. Maybe we're on our way there. Really maybe nice. with all of the, maybe this is the next evolutionary step in the human ear. With all of the city noise you have to contend with, you can just. You whoop. just close these up? Yeah. Let's close these bad boys. I don't know. It's like the, the I don't want to spoil a quiet place for anybody. Uh-oh. Spoiler. Should I just say it anyway? Just say it anyway. Yeah, you know, like the <laughs> monsters in Quiet Place, they have, you know, they're very sensitive, but they can open their. Yeah, and like yeah. get a, even more Even more sensitive, yeah. Yeah, that's nice. I don't want that. I don't want to do the opposite. Yeah. Um, but speaking of that, though, like the mammalian brain is incredibly good at picking up auditory signals that it wants to get out of noise. We sort of talked about this at the end of the last series, and you weren't here, but we were emailing about it. You called it the cocktail party. Oh, the party cocktail party effect. effect. Yeah. yeah, where if you're, at a, if you're at a loud, like you're at a loud cocktail party and you're talking to someone, uh, you can pick out their voice from just a, the huge crowd of people, and you can actually hear them. But it is partially visual. Mm. They're like, you know, there's a sort of, there's, there's, you can hear uh, a little bit better things that you are able to sort of focus in on visually. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you can, your, your brain is very, very good at, uh, picking out specific sounds in a in a din. Mm, yeah, and the, this is something that has been traced back in other animals. I want to be clear. They've spotted novelty detector neurons in the dorsal and external cortex of the inferior colliculus of mostly like rats and mice. Rats. Okay. Yeah. Novelty detector neurons? Mm-hmm. What? I know. That's yeah. cool. So, yeah, it's pretty great, right? And what it does is uh, they pick out new when it comes to your auditory input. So this is like, uh, like you have your standard sound bed, your, mm -hmm. your soundscape. Like all of the people at the restaurant. Yeah. Whatever, 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 you know, yeah. watermelon, watermelon, watermelon. Yeah. Watermelon, watermelon. Watermelon, yeah. watermelon. Someone drops a plate? Like, is that the... That is it. Yeah. And you have, what? This is great. What happened? And your brain lights up in this area. Or allegedly, again, so, mostly spotted in... Yeah. Rats. So in the episode, the, like the evolutionary dis defense or description of this is like, that's a twig breaking when mm -hmm. something's approaching you. Exactly. Mm. So it's all about repetition. We habituate so easily. So the neurons kind of get bored. So they have this spike of activity when something new happens and then they get bored and then they get bored and then a, a twig gets snapped and they get excited again. Right. Woo uh, and they use these neurons to pay attention to all sorts of other things in their environment. And it's, you know, speech, which is new constantly. It's a constant newness versus the drone of yeah. uh, air conditioner or something. And that's how we start to get rid of all of those other things. But just because we get rid of them and get rid of paying attention to them doesn't mean that they're not there, which I think is something that people overlook when it comes to noise. It's just because you're ignoring the train going by and you maybe don't hear it anymore because you've lived in that house for so long and it goes by every 10 minutes. It still has physiological effects. Right. Yeah. The 
pressure of the noise is still hitting your ears. And I think it even it even happens when people are sleeping. Like you can be, you know, effectively unconscious. Yeah. Like asleep in bed. But if there's something, I forget what the actual decibel threshold is, but there's a point at which you you will still have the physiological response of like, you know, your blood pressure goes up something. Oh. Yeah. It will just, even if you're, even if you're still totally asleep. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and it's that same, it's that same sort of evolutionary. I mean, the, the, the idea or the theory is that it's that same evolutionary response to danger mm-hmm. that like a loud sound, you know, you're going to go into fight or flight, but Turns out you can even you you might go into little fight or flight. Yeah. Even if you're asleep. Mini fight or flight. Yeah. Like, fight or flight. <laughs> yeah. Like just the yeah. little one. Um, and it causes reactions in the amygdala, in the brain's emotional center, the amygdala, and also the nervous system responds as if it's a perceived threat, which is really yeah. interesting too. And it can cause adrenaline and cortisol and higher pulse rates, um, blood pressure raising, as you mentioned, and quicker breathing. And chronically, it can cause unhealthy side effects like hypertension and cardiovascular problems, a drain on mental health, work impairment, sleep disruption. Sure, yeah. If your bl- yeah, if your blood, blood pressure is always really high. Yeah. Yeah. Because you live in a place that's noisy. Because again, it's, it's this sound pressure that happens all the time. And just because your conscious brain can ignore it doesn't mean your subconscious can ignore it or yeah. your, your physical form is ignoring it. Uh, I used to live uh, when the, the second apartment that I ever lived in in New York, above Grand Train, right in my backyard, my, my bedroom facing out. Lasted a year. Lasted a year. Too much, too much vibration. It was actually, yeah, like things would shake. It was wow. hard. It was tough. That sounds... I thought for sure when I moved in, because it was inexpensive, that I would be able to do it. It's like, oh, we'll just, like, we'll replace the windows. We'll get better. Ooh. Even, like, low rumble just through the train tracks, through the ground, up through the foundation of the building. Like, not even really a sound, just, like, a feeling. It's enough to... It sounds horrible. It was rough. So to round out the end of the last conversation, we started to talk about how sound is a stressor for for humans. Um, But... It might not always be a stressor. I don't want to just, you know, get down on it all the time. Yes, noise pollution is a big deal, but there seems to be a Goldilocks kind of zone for noise. Is that correct? A couple years ago, there was a study that was looking at... In the Journal of Consumer Research, (laughs) my favorite journal. I'm serious. It's a great journal. I'm going to start reading the Journal of Consumer Research. It's so funny. Lots of interesting stuff. Uh, They were looking at uh, the, like, urban soundscape um, Mm -hmm. and sort of had this hypothesis that for the same reason you were talking about how um, there's a kind of mental activity that is triggered by a changing environment, uh, this changing sound of an environment, that it might also be true for people living in the city. Mm -hmm. And that if the sound is at this level where you're almost triggering your fight or flight response, you're, you're not stressed out, it's not so loud or so constant or grating, that you're having a bad time, but you're stimulated in some way, it actually might make you more creative. Hmm. Uh, And that this could actually explain why people want to work in like cafes. Oh, because it's kind of loud, but not loud. Yeah, like the din of, you know, clanking plates and the espresso machine and people talking and people, you know, just sort of general activity. Yeah, it's like... Energizes. Sort of energizes you, but doesn't stress you out. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, our office here, we moved to a new office fairly recently at Seeker, and it's so quiet. It's so quiet. And so no one talks to each other. So we just, like, 
sit there and then one person says something or sneezes or and everybody laughs, turns around. and then everybody's like what just happened <laughs> what's the problem or someone starts talking to somebody really quietly and then they slowly get louder and it's like in an auditorium when suddenly now everyone's talking everywhere and then it you get that like oh wait lombard effect we were just be- is that what that's, that's called? the lombia yeah. Lom- i think it's lombard huh. it's either lombard or lombardo we're like you like people start talking quietly, and then and then, and then someone talks over to to be able to be heard, and then someone talks over them, and then everybody gets quiet, and then there's that point where everybody stops their conversation at the same time, and, and it's, it's like, oh shoot, we were all talking. Like there's there's a moment where someone was like, you know, and that's how they saw my butt. Yeah. And you're, <laughs> Or like somebody in like an auditorium or even an office, somebody will be like, huh. And then everybody kind of breaks the spell and realizes, oh, we were talking. Yeah. Or somebody on stage moves and everybody goes, the show's about to start. And everybody just shuts up. Yeah. But in reality, there's no reason to do all those things. I mean, you guys got to get white noise machines. So you were mentioning this as well. There's like HVAC systems and white noise machines that can be installed in offices to simulate this this decibel effect that kind of gets people active. Yeah, there were some, there were like productivity studies. It was, I think it was a while ago. It was like when the cube farm was first a thing. And I don't know whether or not this has been looked at again since, but um, I think that like people, yeah, felt uncomfortable talking to one another. Like they didn't want to talk to their coworkers because it felt like everybody around you was listening in. Yeah. And I imagine that's only exacerbated in the open office plan, which we're learning even more, like more and more every month about how bad it is. Yeah. And that productivity went up once people started installing white noise machines. And there's like a really classic one that is the 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 one that I think was studied that like it's mechanical and it turns. Mm. I don't know if you've seen this. It like looks like a beige giant pill. Mm. Um, so they started installing either white noise machines or yeah, HVAC, and productivity went up because people felt like they could talk to one another. Hmm. That like you could have a conversation without, like you said, everybody turning around being like, "What are you? What are you, what are you, guys, guys, what are you guys talking about? Yeah. yeah, what's happening over there? You're gonna eavesdrop on your conversation, <laughs> or like you don't even not the." You, sometimes like you don't have a choice. If it's so quiet, you're just going to hear it anyways. Yeah. And yeah. then you don't want to have a situation where everybody's wearing headphones because that will diminish productivity in another way. Right. Yeah. Because you're all isolated. Yeah. It's such a weird balance. On top of that, silence can actually make people kind of go crazy. You know what I'm saying? There was. I actually. I did a. Uh, um, I, I went to a very nerdy like electronic music school in Paris. A number of years ago. This does not surprise me. <laughs> and uh, we got to tour IRCOM, which is the like the French um, Institute for Acoustic Research, has a very famous, very um, colorful musical history, you know, very, very famous, very fancy yeah. modern composers working there. And we got a tour. And one of the things we got a tour of was their anechoic chamber, which is mm-hmm. they I think they said at the time it was the it was the quietest place in Paris. Um, I don't know if it still is, yeah. but it's like underground, you go several stairwells down, you know, walk out onto a plank in the middle of this thing. And the point of the anechoic chamber is that no sound gets in, no sound gets out and sound travels, um, as little as possible inside of it. So it's anechoic, like the sound doesn't bounce off of the walls and mm. then continue traveling. When it hits a wall, it just dissipates. Yeah. And that's just the the material that's in there and the way the material is arranged. So what was it like? Happens. So I went in with with a friend of mine. They didn't let us go in alone. They actually said, like, they let two people in at a time and they would close the door so you could have the full experience. But they said, we don't let people who aren't used to it go in by themselves because it can be. And then in a a very sort of French way, the guy was like, disorienting. 
We were like, what does that mean? Yeah. And actually, and I went in with, with my friend Randy, and it was it was weird. It was very strange. Yeah. We're, oh, I mean, we evolved in nature. So we've never experienced silence. It's something that, like, we associate with the future and with, like, all of these. <laughs> being these, out in space. Yeah, being out in space and all these goals that we have is, is like, it's clean and quiet. Yeah. And, and flawless. But it's like, we don't actually want any of those things. And there's, there is a, I don't know if it was that one specifically, but there's a really famous story about John Cage, the composer, going into an anechoic chamber. And it was this, it was this like very meaningful life-changing experience for him uh, that like, you know, he said that he heard the sound of his blood pumping and the sound of his synapses firing, which like, I don't know you if know, you can hear that. Yeah, some, the, you know, some years later, some neurologists and, and other people were like, you, you can't hear those things. You probably just had tinnitus. <laughs> but like his his response was, oh, there is no like as long as you're inside a human body, there's no such thing as silence. Mm. And so the rests in musical notation that say like, oh, don't play anything. They're kind of lies. Yeah. <laughs> like there's no silence in music. There's always something happening between the notes. It's just something that the composer isn't in charge of. And that's what led to John Cage's famous sort of... That's the, what, 433? 433 and like indeterminacy was his thing. That it's yeah. like, you know, a composer is someone who just listens in a particular way, not someone who writes music in a particular way. Hmm. So like we're all... Silence compos- yeah. is, is noise, yeah. is noisy. Uh, it's almost like what's the noise floor of the human experience, right? Yeah. And the noise floor is, uh, for those that maybe didn't uh, get in there last time, was it, it's the base level of noise. No matter what happens, this is how much noise is in the system. The headphones that hiss, you know, that's that's where we're at, right? So what is the, the noise floor of a human? I guess we couldn't really measure it because we have to be in our own heads to do it. It's but. like, a, like, you know, it's probably like that. It's just Mike. Let's move on to the natural environment then. So this can be kind of extended back into the natural environment. And we'll get into a little more about noise pollution and how mm-hmm. silence can also be a form of oppression in this way. So that kind of the headphones and making sure we have too much silence is also almost bad. Yeah. Which I think is fascinating. So think about like a quiet, snowy plain, right? You know there's still things living there. You know, there's still people, there's still cars, you know, it could be the same place that you are in the summer when it's loud and there's birds and things and the highway off in the distance. But because of the properties of snow, they absorb the sound. Yeah. So you end up with this very, very quiet environment and it can feel somehow more threatening. I don't know if you've ever kind of tapped into your feelings when you stand on alone in a snowy area, but it can be a little like, Stressful. Well, it's weird. There's a there's a disconnect between what you're seeing and what you're hearing, right? Like you hear, you look. You know, if you're in a snowy field or whatever, you're looking at this wide open space, but you hear something that feels much much smaller. Mm-hmm. And that's always how I feel like when I go visit my parents who live, you know, in the suburbs near some like farms and stuff. That's always how I feel like it doesn't. What I'm hearing doesn't match what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. It sounds much much smaller than it looks. Yeah. 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 And that that gives an advantage to like a predator, for example, who's been like who's evolved in that environment. So yeah. think like an owl trying to grab a rodent or something. Right? Sure. They have predator prey interactions that have, uh, you know, synchronized movements. So an owl can fly so quietly because it's got feathers that are specifically designed to absorb sound. And that way it can fly over a snowy plane and grab a rodent without the rodent hearing it. On top of that, 
That is so cool. Yeah, it's really cool. And it also reduces its energy expenditure to, to glide more than it's like flapping. Like if you think of a pigeon, they are yeah. not quiet when they're flapping around all the time. But like these birds have like evolved to be quiet because silence can also be kind of dangerous. Whereas yeah. like noise, if it makes any, <laughs> that could be that'd be great. So sound produced as a byproduct of locomotion could also be considered noise, which yeah. animals have pretty much evolved, including ourselves. Like this doesn't make any noise. I'm moving my elbow for those who cannot see the video, but like <laughs> you can throw a spear. Yeah, exactly. Silently, you know, but at the same time, if we build a machine that does this noise, it's almost always going to make or does this motion rather. It's almost always going to make noise. Yeah. To bring it back a little bit into humans, though, noise triggers bodily responses that any stress would, uh, and it can actually cause real damage over time. So let me uh, quickly quote a landmark study, a 1975 study of mm -hmm. students in schools. And this comes back to that productivity question that we were asking earlier or talking about earlier. Quote, reading scores of children in classrooms near train tracks mm -hmm. were lower than the scores of children whose classrooms were quieter. So there's some like level of sound that's too much. Elementary school kids on lower floors that were closer to noise on a ground floor of a school also showed greater impairment yeah. as opposed to students who were on higher floors and it was somewhat more silent. So this was done in the New York area uh, and the Board of Education added soundproofing and adjusted tracks near schools. Uh, the MTA actually worked with the Board of Ed and they did this fairly quickly and they showed actual improvement in a follow-up study in the same region. So well, it's like pretty incredible how much noise can affect us in ways that you don't think about like it makes students less productive they make students not perform as well in their study yeah which you wouldn't think oh well yes my school was next to a train track but that was fine you know the teacher just you just keep the windows closed or right, whatever exactly yeah. but in reality it can really mess with us um there's also airports yeah. and people who live near airports chronic aircraft noise uh, also has been shown to affect children's learning. I don't know why they study children's learning a lot, probably because it's a controlled environment, but I don't know. And I know that they there's the like incidence, the closer you get to an airport, the incidence of heart attack, like, or like cardiovascular infarction of like some kind, like increases. Hmm. That like as you get closer and closer to the noisy environment of the airport, yeah. the number of people who have, you know, because we were talking about loud noise raises your blood pressure. If you yeah. just constant high blood pressure, yeah, your heart's going to work an extra hard all the time. And that's, that's bad for you. It's real bad. Some of the things that they cited in these um, student studies with teachers were communication difficulties, teacher and pupil frustration, yeah. so like not being able to hear the teacher, reduced morale, of course, impaired attention, increased arousal, not in like a dirty way, but like that's how scientists refer to like you have excitement in some way, you're, yeah. you're triggered, if you will, uh, and that influences task performance and can influence sleep disturbance, which would then go on to come back and influence your performance at school. And it, this can happen not just in the school. If you have a house near a train track and then you go to school and you've been impaired in your sleep, you're not going to learn as well. So this sort of comes to what you were talking about in your reasonably sound episode, right? Where there's some like class distinction between noise and silence. Yeah, there's so people have just started looking at this now. We have a pretty good sense, especially in the EU, there's been a lot of research about um like the impacts that noise has on um, the people who are subjected to it and what the health risks are. But we're only just now starting to take a look at who those people are. 
And uh, in the United States, there was a, a big study that was done last year where they grabbed a bunch of uh, different data sets. Um, it was like 1.5 million hours of audio recording, like zo zoning data, census data, all this stuff. Um, you know, there was they did some machine learning to it. OK, okay. Uh, as did, you do these did days, the machine learning. Um, and they figured out that it looks like uh, it is poorer communities and communities of color in the United States specifically that are the most subjected to levels of noise where there is a potential health risk. Hmm. Um, and that lines up with uh, previous research that's been done on air and water pollution that like um, basically within in between countries, uh, if you are poor or a minority, it is likely that y your like environment is suffers from some sort of environmental neglect. Yeah, or yeah. pollution in this case, yeah. like you were mentioning. So either noise or air or water or something. Yeah. And it's interesting because we usually ignore noise pollution and how it affects people. But it really does have a lot of effects, which we've touched on already, you know, yeah. hypertension and all sorts of other things. So uh, noise pollution is actually on the rise, according to some studies. In the developed world, exposure to day-to-day -day social noise, as it's called, which is omnipresent music, cafe chatter, etc., mm. which I thought, oh, interesting. That's tripled in 30 years. Huh. Yeah, which is a lot. And according to the United Nations, 84% of the planet's humans are going to live in urban areas by 2100 which isn't that far away, although it might feel that far away. And by that point, there will be 10 billion of us. So it will not be getting quieter <laughs> yeah. in this aquarium we call Earth. Um, so it is important to understand the, the impacts of noise. The World Health Organization lists noise pollution as the number one environmental nuisance in developed countries. Number one environmental nuisance. That's a, that's, I'm surprised. I was also surprised. Yeah. That's why I wrote it in the thing. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And they said it has to be, you know, uh, all sorts of different things can cause it, obviously. Um, but according to Neil Patel, who wrote into Futurism, traffic is the biggest contributor to noise pollution. A diesel truck at 50 feet can generate up to 90 decibels of noise, and anything over 85 is not great. It is also like reading all the studies of uh, like what people complain about, like what noises they're, um, like interrupt their sleep or their work the most often. Mm -hmm. Traffic is always number one. Yeah. Uh, and then it's followed by, I think, Neighbors is the second one. Well. Neighbors are yeah, always the worst. The worst. But when it comes to noise, I do want to not end on kind of a sour note, um, which isn't even, a, that's a flavor, not a, like a, but it's a sour it, yeah, note. There yeah, could, be, like, could be a sour okay, note. Okay, yeah. you know, I was trying to go with some noisy thing, but it it's, ended up being. Uh, you know, the the uh, uh, visual primacy has made it so that we have to discuss sound-related things using metaphor. Because it's hard it's to It's hard to, yeah. yeah. I, earlier, I said, we, you know, we look at things through the world of sound. So yeah, that's true. He did say that. <laughs> I don't know if you remember, but it was, it was weird. But noise is pervasive. Uh, it can be uh, problematic. But as we mentioned at the top of this, there is a level of noise, about 70 decibels, according to that Journal of Consumer Research study, I think, Yeah, um, that can make you potentially more creative. And too much silence can also be bad. So kind of sort of how we started this whole discussion into noise of noise being sonic phenomena out of place, as we mentioned in the last segment, yeah. or as I mentioned in the first segment, it's more subjective. And if you want to spot that quasar, you have to filter out the noise of all of the other equally important quasars. Noise is bad, but also maybe... You kind of need it? Good? 
in communication theory, there's this idea of like signal to noise ratio that like, you know, you're the meaning that you're creating in whatever the system is, whether it's person to person communication or, you know, technological should be uh, robust enough to combat whatever noise is in the system, like whatever um, aberration is going to be injected into the message through whatever, however the system works. Um, and uh, what a lot of people say is that like there's no there's no noiseless system. Mm. There's no way to communicate with someone that doesn't inject aberration in some way. Right. And so like noise is kind of this symbol of the possibility of meaning. Yeah. That if there is no noise present, there's no system to communicate, period. And so, you know, to yeah. say that you you kind of need it, I think holds a little bit of weight, you know. There's some there's some engineering smarties out there who were doing really smart stuff, you know, trying to get 70 years ago who said, you know, like noise is an important part of the system. They were talking about engineering systems, but I think even. Yeah, it's not that different, like person to person or in a city or, you know, just one last anecdotal example of that. Star Trek, the next generation. (laughs) Yeah, there's the engine noise all the time. Oh, yeah. You're on a starship in the middle of nowhere. But for some reason, in a show, in a, in a fictional program, they, yeah, they created, and you can go on YouTube and 10 hour long, just like, wah, 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 for 10 hours. And it. people do. It's got millions of views, but they're not viewing it, I'm yeah. sure. But it's like these kind of noises are, they're pervasive, and you should be worried if you're exposed to too much noise. But a little bit of noise is fine. Yeah. It's moderation. Thanks for tuning in to Seeker Plus today. Mike, where can they find you if they want to come listen to Reasonably Sound? You can find uh, Reasonably Sound most places that you listen to podcasts. Also, reasonablysound.com. Also on SoundCloud. Also, Reasonably SND on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. And he's good at the Twitter. It's Aww. pretty good. Thanks, yeah. pal. Okay, so the episode is over, and now I'm worried about how noisy I'm being. I'm super cognizant of all the noise that's around me. What the heck? Sorry for the accidental ASMR there. We're just going to have to get over all of this noise because it is out there no matter what we do. Thanks so much for tuning in to Seeker Plus. Just a reminder, I'm Trace. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, you name it. I'm there. Just look for Trace Dominguez. You can also find Seeker in all of those places with amazing videos and stories on YouTube, Facebook, and of course on Seeker.com. This episode was written by Trace Dominguez and Mike Rugnetta. It was fact-checked by Megan Bates. The associate producer was Victoria Barrios. It was edited by Alex Estevez and recorded by Matt Pignol and Spencer Snyder. Our intern, Debbie Hainem did a lot of listening for all of these Seeker Plus episodes, and this was her last week. So thank you, Debbie. We will see you around. Thanks again for listening to this episode, everyone. I know it was noisy, but now you'll know better. Stay tuned for our upcoming series next week, and we will see you then.